I am grateful as always to be with you. Uh, grateful that you are here with one another. Grateful for the community of God. Let's start with a prayer. Gracious God, we are so uh, overjoyed at your presence. And as we come to you bearing many things, things that make us happy, things that weigh us down, uh, we trust that you receive us in every form and that there is nothing hidden from you and that you do not wish for us to change our emotions uh, to fit your expectations rather, but you receive us just as we come. And we ask that as we seek to learn from you and about you, that we may emulate you in the world, that you would teach us through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might know better what it means to live as Christ lived. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When you think about the core characteristics of God, what comes to your mind first? I promise this isn't going to turn into like a church pop quiz, but I want you to think about the first kind of words that come to you when you're thinking about the central character of God. Maybe loving or merciful, maybe forgiving, compassionate, powerful, just, generous, forgiving, patient. In some passages, we see the definition of God as slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love, trustworthy, God keeps God's promises, faithful, God never leaves us alone. One characteristic that might not be the first to come on your mind and maybe doesn't even show up in your list is what we're going to talk about this morning, the character of God's beauty. I think one of the reasons we hesitate to use beauty as a central character of God is because God, other than Christ, has no physical form. And we tend to instinctively describe beauty as something visual, something we could see or experience in a, a real sensory kind of way. How can we define something as beautiful if we can't experience it directly, right? But I think the scripture disagrees with us on that impulse and defines one of the essential characteristics of God as beautiful. Now, I want to be clear, the conversation around what is and isn't beauty can get very philosophical very quickly. And all of our philosophers are out of town, so we're not going to even try to get there. And I think all of us would like to go home before like Wednesday at noon. So... Instead, we're going to sort of narrow, and for our goals and purposes, we're going to talk about beauty in a way that is, in essence, lovely, or bright, good, glorious, elegant, graceful, delicate, bringing delight to the one who is experiencing it. In Greek, the word kalos is sort of the closest cognate, and it means beautiful or valuable or good. It has weight to it. In the Hebrew, it is yafa, beautiful like brightness or glory. And this characteristic of beauty is not something that's just experienced by sight, but it's something deeper that identifies it as beautiful. It can be visual or sensory from taste 
or touch, auditory, or just in our own minds, in the experience of our mind. The Khalil Gibran, who is a famous Arab-American poet, has a poem titled On Beauty. And one of the central pieces of that verse reads like this. Beauty is not a need, but an ecstasy. It is not a mouth thirsting, nor an empty hand stretched forth, but rather a heart inflamed, a soul enchanted. It is not the image you would see nor the song you would hear, but rather an image you see though you close your eyes, and a song you hear though you shut your ears. So Gibran is defining beauty as something beyond the experience of beauty, something deeper, an, an element that is deeper that makes something beautiful. Beauty, he says, is not something that is necessary, but that brings about a blissful experience. Not a need, exactly, but the expression of something deep that cannot be expressed any other way. An image you see even though your eyes are screwed shut, a song you can hear though you lost your capacity to hear long ago. Beauty has this quality of continuing past the moment of that experience. It stays with you long past the moment of it. So as we try to understand what beauty is, why would we highlight it as a central characteristic of God? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We're going to start in Psalm 80 this morning, 1 through 3 and then 14 through 19. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You are enthroned upon the cherubim, shrine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand pulled. It has been burned with fire, it has been cut down, may they perish at the rebuke of your countenance, but let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This passage from the Psalms talks about God's power for and among the people of Israel. And there's a repeated inclusion in this passage of the word shine, especially when identifying the face or the countenance of God. And the psalmist asks for God's face to shine in order that Israel might be saved, that they might receive salvation. The power of God and attentiveness of God are connected to this idea of God's shining face. And maybe it doesn't seem obvious to us at first what the beauty of God has to do with all of these things, but this concept of shining is a reflection of the idea of glory, the shining glory of the divine. And so, like, when we hear God's face shining, 
brings to mind things like gold that's been polished, beautiful cut gems. And so we hear of God's power, the shining face and presence of God, God's face expressing glory in the world. And we know that it is beautiful. We know that it is beautiful. Though the word beauty isn't found in this particular psalm, it is about the shining glory of God's beauty among the people, not just about God's power. And when God's shining face, God's beautiful glory is present, the people know that salvation is at hand. They know that God is among them. God is with them. And because of it, the people receive salvation. God's beauty is not a secondary thing, but a complete expression of who God is. God's beauty and God's salvation go hand in hand, not because beautiful things in themselves can save us, but because both are indications of God's presence. Psalm 27 speaks about God in a similar kind of way. In verse 4 and 5, the psalm says, I ask only for one thing, that I may dwell in God's house every day, that I may see the beauty of the Lord and learn in his house. The only request here is to be given the chance to gaze upon God's beauty every day, all day, and that alone would be enough to sustain them. The following verse affirms the connection between beauty and God's salvation and power. And it says, if they could do that, God would protect and hide them from danger in their own shelter. Experiencing God's beauty allows for this sustained connection between the person interacting with God's beauty and God themselves. It can offer also safety from the threats of the world. Another psalm, Psalm 50, starts this way. The mighty one, God, the Lord, who speaks and summons the earth out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Now, it's not saying that Zion is the perfection of beauty, though I'm sure it's a lovely place. But this is highlighting God's own beauty as perfection, as completeness, shining forth from its place within Israel. God's power and glory and the shining light of God are all expressions of who God is. And God is not beautiful just for the sake of something to exert power or influence, like a peacock growing beautiful feathers to attract a mate. No, this is central and core to who God is in the world. God is beauty. And the things in our experience that are beautiful on any and all levels reflect that divine beauty. Any created thing, humanity, creatures, earth, space, all of it is created out of God's love for us. But because they bear God's image, God's fingerprints, the beauty that we find in them is a reflection of God's own beauty. A person who cannot see can identify beauty just as much as those of us with eyesight. Someone who has memory loss knows what a beautiful thing is, even if they don't know why. If all things can express beauty, a beauty that is sustained beyond the momentary experience of that beauty, 
What else but God could they be reflecting? Who else but God could beauty come from? There is no other unifying factor to the diversity of creation but a reflection of God. Beauty is a significant element of the character of the one whom we follow. So how can we, then, as people who wish to follow God, to understand God, to share God with the world, how can we be aware of God's beauty, this intangible being who we center our lives around? Well, we must learn to practice the art of noticing, and as we go about our days, we must see the beauty in all things and notice them as a reflection of God's beauty. We can be aware of what is beyond the aesthetic reality, inclusive of it, and notice the beauty of God in the world. Just like the moon, reflective of the sun's light, also so shines all created things. Because, you know, it can be easy to be caught up in our life and to forget how central God's own beauty is to our faith, to our sense of self. And so being believers, we can choose to intentionally look for God's beauty around us. And I see two sort of clear elements to give us a place to start. The first that might draw our attention to this core element of who God is, is humanity. And I'm not just talking about a handsome man walking down the street, but I do think the diversity of the beauty of humans is a great place to start. Every person you have met has beauty to them, even when they are at their personal worst. And that beauty can be expressed in physical features that might meet your particular standards of attraction, or it might be in an infectious laugh, soft wrinkles around the eyes, a tender heart, a listening ear, a quick wit, a joyful spirit. Every human is beautiful. And each of these expressions of beauty, whether aesthetic or otherwise, reflects God's own beauty. It's also easier, I think, for us to find beauty in other people. But I will remind you that you are also human. You also bear the beauty of God. And so perhaps for you, the way to start watching for God's beauty is to treat yourself a little more gently in the mirror. When we degrade or demean our own beauty, internal and external, we reject God's beauty in God's creation. Instead, we should look to ourselves as carriers of God's beauty, imperfect but reflective of God. The second way we see beauty in the world more easily is in the rest of creation. I think most people find this one a little more manageable because nature never did anything to you, but people might have. However, though humans do bear distinctiveness among creation, we are a part of it, as are the plants, the earth, the animals, the weather. My father often says that he can recognize God's beauty and God's presence with a soft wind across his face. He finds them as in other states, not in Kansas. We only have harsh ones. I often look to lightning or to a fresh, slightly crunchy snow. And I see so clearly the beauty of God. 
Some of you love the wet, heavy weight of a muggy summer day. Some of you prefer a cold mountain sunrise. Others find it easy to see the beauty of God in plants. I know some of you have houseplants and gardens that you care for. Some of us are not as good as some of the rest of you. But growing and watching the development of flowers and fruit trees and even those really annoying weeds that always come up right around your driveway, they all reflect God's own beauty. Some of you care a great deal for every single animal you've ever met and those that live inside your home and those that live outside of it. And in doing so, in caring for these creatures, whether a very snuggly cat or an energetic dog, we see God's own beauty in those creatures. Recognizing their uniqueness gives us a sense of God's beauty expressed in so many different ways. Scientists who watch the development of molecules, those who study marine biology, computer scientists, and the perfect organization of a binary system. Beauty is manifest in so many places, but we have to learn to watch for it. And as we go about our day, we have many opportunities to slow down, to watch for God's beauty. You don't have to go out of your way to find it. So this week, I want to encourage you to take time to notice. Where do you see God's beauty around you? If you choose to look for it more carefully, I promise you'll find it in unexpected places. So as you take each day, observe the ordinary world around you, ordinary people, ordinary things, and see God's beauty there. And if God's beauty is there, then you can be assured, as the psalmist has told us, that God is also there, reminding you of God's presence, God's power, and God's salvation. Beauty is a key expression of God's own character, and when we see it for what it is in the world around us, we join with God in that expression of love. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.